Matthew chapter 10, uh, we saw, we pick it up where we left off, instructions for the team. As they were being sent out, they were called by God, they were equipped by God, and then he gave them instructions to go out. And we, we saw last time the first half of, of the instructions that he gave them, that they were sent out by twos to the lost, and they were to start with the people of Israel, start with their own people, and then kind of it would spread out from there. Obviously, we know it, it, it would spread out to the whole world. And that the message was that the kingdom of heaven is near. And that each one of us, we need, we need to come to that place where we surrender to the king. And we bow the knee before him. And that's really the message and that, that you and I are called to do. And they would also go out, they would help people, they would pray for people. They would ask God to touch people's lives, hearts, and bodies. It says that they would go out freely, freely give, freely receive, and and that, that as they went, they would just need to trust God no matter what. They didn't need to bring everything with them, you know, a, a you know, big, you know, a semi with them out to do the ministry, but they would just go trusting God. And you and I need to trust God when we are serving Him. We, we can't do anything in and of ourselves anyways. It, it says in John, you know, that, that uh, uh, in and of ourselves, what can we accomplish? Apart from Him, we can do how much? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing we can do apart from him. He obviously he wanted them to go out and, and share this message and trust God and, and to look for the open hearts that were there and depend upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would give them the words in those times of need. And then the last thing would be that they would persevere, they would not give up, they would keep going, keep going, keep going until when? Until Jesus returns. So you and I have that call. Until he either takes us home or he returns for us, we've got the call to keep on, keep on, keeping on. Part two of instructions for the team. More instructions. And, and I, this second half is, is, to me, it's almost harder than this, the first half. The first half, you know, half is kind of clear and and and. I wouldn't say easy, but the second half deals more with like attitudes and the, and the commitments of our heart and, and with fears. Fear is a huge part of this second half. And, and I stand back and look at these verses and I just go, whoa, this is like, this is like way too much. How can, I, how, you know, how can I do that? But I believe that, that Jesus calls and he equips and, and that there's something here for every one of us. And so as we look at these verses, I want you to look for something maybe the Lord would, would, would speak to your heart about. And maybe everything he's going to speak to you out of these verses, but we'll see. Let's, let's pick it up in, in verse 24. It says, A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been, been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? The first thing in this section here is that he, he gives them some, some idea of, of what they were to be and who they were. And that's for you and I to understand we are students and we're servants. We don't, those aren't necessarily words that we like. You know, how many of you love school? Why do you lie? <laughs> no, I like school too. It's, but how many, let me put it this way, how many like the tests and the papers and the, uh, you know, all the exams that you have to take? 
How many of you like to be servants? Would sign up for that job. I want to be the servant. These are what Jesus has called his apostles to do, his disciples to do. When they went out, they were to be students. They were to learn. They were to be servants. And they were to be just like Jesus. I mean, we can stop right there. You mean I am supposed to reflect Jesus? I'm supposed to be just like Jesus when I go out there to those people? To anybody, to my neighbor, to my friend, to my family, I'm supposed to be just like Jesus. How many of us can measure up to that? We could stop right there and say, well, just, that's too much. But that's what he's called us to do. And again, this principle I repeat over and over is that what he's called us to do, he will equip us to do. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Jesus was not a, a hypocrite in any way, shape, or form, uh, you know, like, like the rest of us humans tend to be. If he said something, he did it. He didn't put on any masks. He didn't pretend to be anything. He didn't take, you know, things to himself that he didn't need to. And so in, the, in John chapter 13, we're not going to read the whole, whole chapter, but, excuse me, he Jesus went and washed the disciples' feet. Now, that was the servant's job. The lowest servant's job is people would come in, their feet would be dirty, they wore sandals, whatever. They would wash their feet. That was the the first thing that they would do. But look down at verse 12. It says, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Earlier in the passage, of course, Peter said, no way I'm going to you know, let you wash my feet. No way I'm going to you know, let you do that, much less him do that. And, and for us to, to take a place of a servant, we're actually going to take care of, of other people and take care of their needs and, and even the dirt in their lives. It's not an easy thing to do, and it's not something we naturally want to do. We want to say, you know, I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of my needs. I want other people to serve me. I go to a restaurant so people can serve me. Which I think maybe is a a message for us to be sensitive to those people who are serving us in the restaurant. Let's, Let's be nice to them. But he says there, notice those verses in verse 15. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then in verse 17, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you hear them? No, what does it say? You will be blessed if you do them. That's where the blessings of life come in when when we follow the plan of Jesus. Now again, it's not our normal pattern. It's not what we normally want to do. But he says, be a student, be a servant, be like me in this world. That's what he's calling you and I to do and to be. Let's turn back to Matthew. Matthew. That wasn't the only point of why he was saying that because the, the second half of that is, he says there, if the, if the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. In other words, if Jesus has been persecuted and even 
you know, called, like, you're in league with Satan. You are Satan. You know, they, they said all these terrible, wicked things about him. If, if they're going to say it about him, he says they're going to say it about you too. It's not going to be an easy, easy thing to do. David Guzik, who is the uh, director of, of the Calvary Chapel Bible School in, in Siegen, Germany, he says this. He says, simply put, the disciples should not expect to be treated any better than Jesus was treated. If they call Jesus himself Satan, how much worse should the disciples of Jesus expect? We might have to face what he faced. That's what he's saying here. Again, remember the context here. He's sending them out. He's sending you and I out. You and I each have a call. And he's saying, you've got to understand what you might face. Look at what I have faced. And, and I'm thinking today is, is uh, Palm Sunday, or the day we celebrate, and I'm thinking about Jesus, you know, in this whole scenario, when you think about Palm Sunday, then, you know, it wasn't, you know, Palm Sunday, he comes into Jerusalem, right? And, and what did they say about him? What did they say? Hosanna. And they said, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They worshiped him. They, they, were, they had palm branches and coats. They spread out and, and gave him all this adoration and praise, praise because they thought he was Messiah. Yes, he is a Messiah, of course. But they thought he was coming in to like, take over and be everything that they expected him to be at that time. But it wasn't that many days later, right, that they crucified him. They beat him, they whipped him, they crucified him. One day, one, you know, one day people can be saying nice things about you. The next day they can be saying terrible things about you. Jesus said they did it to me. Don't be surprised if they do it to you. We'll talk a little bit later. That doesn't mean that we have to be jerks and, and you know, to, to, to get treated badly because we're jerks is another story, right? To be like our master, to be like our teacher, he says, when you go, this is, the, this is what you have. And again, how can we ever, ever do that without praying, without spending time with Jesus? We saw that in the disciples. The, the number th- one thing is they were called to be with him. And when the people saw the disciples, it says they, were, they, they couldn't believe it, that these guys were doing anything positive, anything good. Why? Because they noticed that they had been with Jesus. They noticed that they had been with Jesus. Are you and I, we can't, we can't expect to go out and do anything if we're not spending any time with Jesus ourselves. Look at verse 26. Verses 26 through 31 is a whole section really about fear. Three times he talks about fear. What is the biggest thing that keeps you and I from sharing with other people? Fear. There are other reasons, yeah, there are other things, but I think what I've seen through the years and in myself, is, well, the biggest thing that keeps me from speaking to other people about Jesus Christ is fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And so Jesus says, why, you know, do not be afraid. Look at verse 26. He says, do not be afraid of them. He says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. He said, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of who? Of anyone, really. Why? Because the truth is the truth. 
And the truth will prevail. The truth will always triumph. The truth of who Jesus is. As we share truth with people, we, we may not get a good response. But in the end, the truth will triumph. In the end, the truth of who Jesus is. He said He was the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Him. That truth, in the end, will show itself to be the truth. It happens, it happens when people's lives are changed. And ultimately, it will also happen on the day of judgment when the truth will show itself, when Jesus Christ will show that He is Lord of lords and King of kings. I'm not speaking here about relative truth. I'm talking about the ultimate truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. So he says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. You know, you have the truth. Don't be afraid of what their response is. Just share the truth. It's not for us to be so, uh, so consumed with what people's response is. God, in the end, will take care of the response. God, in the end, will take care of the results. In the end, it's not up to us, the results. We can't manipulate people. We can't make them do what we want, what we think they should do. So he says, you know what? Speak it out. Speak it in the daylight. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What's whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. And again, we see here uh, what I believe he's talking about when, when you and I are in relationship with Jesus Christ, things that we have received from him, our personal walk with him. How much easier is it to share something that is real and true for me with other people? than just to share with you a, you know, a little booklet or a little set of, of you know, well, these are the, you know, the five steps to get saved. But if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and something is real that is happening, I can share with you the truth that Jesus is real because I know he's real. And his, his word is true because he is, he is faithful to his word, and I've seen it over and over. But again, if we're, if we're not having any kind of a real relationship, any quiet time with Him where, where we're in the quiet space, in the darkness of that closet with Him, what He's whispering in our ears, that still small voice, what have we got to share with anybody? Reminds me of the, you know, the, uh, the guy who said, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the exorcist went out and they, they wanted to cast the demons out, right? I'm kind of paraphrasing here. And, and, you know, they, they said, you know, Paul we know and Jesus we know, but who are you? In other words, they had no relationship with the power. They were using the name of Jesus, but they didn't have the relationship with Jesus. It's got to start there, folks. Uh, if you hear me say anything over and over again, it's that you and I need to have a relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. We can't give what we don't have. Look at verse 28. Do not be afraid. Again, he says it. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's some pretty serious words, isn't it? First, he says, don't be afraid of people. Do not be afraid of man. The fear of man, the fear of people, the fear of what their response is going to be, fear of what they're going to do to you and to me. In Proverbs, you've heard this verse before, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. 
If we're afraid of people, afraid of their faces, afraid of their reactions. And I think we all struggle to that to some degree or another. But he goes on to say in Proverbs 29, 25, he says, Whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Our safety is in the Lord. The psalmist says this, In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Here Jesus says that what they can do, they can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. What can man do to me? What, what will man do to you and I in this world, in this country perhaps you'll say? I know things are getting worse, but will they make fun of us? Call us a Jesus freak? Call us one of those born-agains? Wow, that really hurts, you know? I mean, we're such babies. We don't want any kind of negativity to come at us. They're going to reject me. Maybe they're, maybe they're even going to hurt me. Maybe they're even going to kill me. But, but the, the Bible says, don't be afraid of those that can kill you. Rather, fear God. Paul says that to live is Christ, is to die is gain. To be with Jesus, if they, if they ended up killing us, it would actually be good for us. But our fear is misplaced. We're so afraid of people and we have no fear of God in our hearts. This is what people should be afraid of, this, this God that, that we serve. We should be afraid of a place called hell, which is eternal separation from God. We fear man more than we fear God. That's the truth of it. Because we don't understand him. We don't know who he is. And I'm not talking about, you know, fear in a negative sense, but, but this, this, you know, reverence of God, that he is the creator, that he is the almighty God, the holy one, the only one that deserves worship and fear. The Proverbs say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a positive side of this. It says in Psalm 31, How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. He's storing up goodness for you and me as we, as we have this right relationship with Him that we fear Him more than we fear anything else, anybody else. Oswald Chambers, the guy who you know, wrote the great uh, devotional, he said the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I think maybe it's time for us to have a little check when we're full of fear of what people are going to say and think, that maybe we're, we, we're misplacing our fear. We need, to, we need to fear God. Fear God, the one, who, the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. People can hurt us physically, maybe, Maybe emotionally, maybe. But we're talking about the creator of the universe. We know, we know as we talked uh, earlier about the lives of these apostles that almost every single one of them were called to give that sacrifice. Their lives were taken, their bodies were killed for the sake of the cross, for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith. One more reason not to fear, found in verse 29 through 31. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. But who's counting? So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, he says, don't be afraid. Why? Don't be afraid because God is in control and God is going to take care of you. He's going to take care of me. We are worth more than, than any creature on this planet. That's why it kind of gets me, you know, we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, we're put on the same level as animals, but the Bible never puts us on the same level as animals. He says that, that we're created in the image of God, very different from the animals, and, and that He has a special place in His heart for us. He cares about us. He cares about the smallest details we see in these verses. These sparrows were worth hardly anything. This, you know, like a penny. But yet he knew about them and he says he cares more about us than he cares about them, even in the smallest of things. One commentator says these words. He says, The courage of the king's messenger is founded on the conviction that whatever happens, whatever happens he cannot drift beyond the love and care of God. He knows that his times are forever in God's hand, that God will not leave him or forsake him, that he is surrounded forever by the care of God. And if that is so, of whom shall we be afraid? God is with us. He's promised to be with us. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He cares. Look at verse 32. He says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. He's calling us to be bold, to fearlessly confess him before men. You kind of see why I said in the beginning of this, you know, how, how this passage is very challenging to you and to me. What he's calling us to do what he's calling us to be, how he's getting at the very heart of who we are and, and how we look at the world, how we look at people around us and our relationship with God. He says, confess me, acknowledge me before men. It says in Romans chapter 10, well, let's turn there. Why don't we turn to Romans chapter 10? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Some familiar verses. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 8. He says, But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. From the very beginning of our Christian lives, our Christian relationship with Jesus Christ, our Christian walk, there's this, this idea of confessing with our mouths and believing in our hearts. Not just the one, but both of them. Confessing and believing. He says that this is, this is the way we begin on our journey. And, and, and if it's the way we begin, it's also the way we continue as well, that we continue to believe, but we also continue to confess. 
Warren Wiersbe says that God has no secret service. David Guzik says these words, everyone that Jesus called, he called publicly. He says there's really no such thing as a secret Christian, at least not in a permanent sense. He says this is a contradiction in terms of an oxymoron. He says each individual Christian life should supply enough evidence, evidence that can be seen by the world that they are indeed Christians. It is to be feared that many modern Christians if arrested for the crime of following Jesus and tried in a court, would have the charges dismissed for lack of evidence. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. Are we afraid to even mention the name of Jesus? Are we afraid to let people know about this person that we call Lord and Savior? Is it something so secret that people don't even know that we're Christians. You know, they, 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 something happens and they find out and they go, wow, I, I never knew you were a Christian. Well, there's something maybe missing in that, right? Is there enough evidence if we were arrested for following Jesus that the charges would not be dismissed for lack of evidence? Is that challenging? I don't know about you folks, but that's very challenging. This whole, this whole section is so challenging. What, what, you know, what is going on? What, what, are we, what are we in this world? There's another passage uh, that says, you know, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Are we re- really representing this Jesus? The second half of that, he says, whoever disowns or denies me before men... I will disown before my Father in heaven. You go, wow, that's pretty heavy stuff too, isn't it? But isn't it, isn't it true that we reap what we sow? We can deny him. We can disown him in a lot of different ways. Uh, someone pointed out we can, we can deny him with our words, by the things we say, by the way we talk. We can deny him by our silence, by what we don't say. We can deny him with our actions. He says that, that he will disown us, deny us before the Father as well. You, you ask the question, yeah, but, but is there forgiveness? Because you and I all do those things. You know, I do. We all do those things. Is there forgiveness? Yes, there is. I think we see in the life of Peter that, you know, he denied the Lord three times and, and the Lord came back and restored him, forgave him and restored him. And not only that, but he said, I want you to work even hard. I want you to serve even more. I want you to take care of my sheep and feed my lambs. And do what I've called you to do. But then you look at a guy like Judas who denied the Lord, disowned him. It was a final thing because that's where his heart was. He never really came around to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. You and I will all stand at the judgment seat for whether we have received him or we have rejected him. Let's look at verses 34 through 36. Turn back to Matthew. Response. How do people respond to the message. 
Look at verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Wow. Look at this. Even among family. Jesus, now we know Jesus, right, is called the Prince of Peace, right? Jesus, it says, you know, he came and there was peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We know the story of, the, uh, of Jesus coming to the earth. But the truth of the matter is that his coming also brought division, also brought a sword. One man said this, the message, the message of Jesus as reflected in the Sermon on the Mount is indeed a message of peace, yet since it calls the individual to a radical commitment to Jesus himself, it is a message of peace that divides between those who choose it and those who reject it. Even among families sometimes we see that. Not an easy thing to deal with, is it? He didn't come always that everything would be wonderful, that everything would be nice, nice. As I said earlier, now this is not because, this is not because we're, we're insensitive oafs and we're, you know, slamming people and we're, and we're uh, you know, uh, trying to act like the Holy Spirit and, and uh, judging and, and trying to bring conviction into other people's lives. But because of our commitment to Jesus Christ, people, it, it, you know, if you, if you and I are truly living for Jesus Christ, it, it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them not feel at home with you, perhaps. It's going to cause some kind of problems. That's not because we're being, you know, uh, ridiculous with them. It's just because of Jesus in our lives. He says, this is going to happen. Are we aware of this? Are we, are we understanding this is part of what the cost is, what the calling is? Look on, it even gets even deeper and more difficult. Anyone who loves his father, verse 37 or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He's asking for complete and total commitment. He's, he's asking us that, 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 our, that our devotion to him would be above all else. He's not saying that, you know, we have to, you know, uh, uh, join a cult and cut off all of our family members. I, you know, you see that, you hear that, it's ridiculous. It's not what he's saying here. He's saying the priority in our hearts and lives has got to be that, that he's first, he's number one. But so often... Again, again, it's like this, the, the, the fear of man, the fear of God, the love of man and the love of God. You know, when, when we have it right, when we love him first, the rest will fall into place. It doesn't mean it'll always be perfect, always be right. Jesus has some pretty hard words for us, does he not? He said, anyone who does not take his cross, follow me, is not worthy of me. You're not prepared to go the whole route, the whole 
nine yards, the whole distance. He says, don't, don't even bother. Talks about that in Revelation, doesn't it? Those that are lukewarm. He says, I'd rather you're cold, I'd rather you were hot. One or the other. But if you're just going to be kind of a little mixture of cold and hot, a little lukewarm, he said, don't even bother. You're not worthy of me. This picture of the cross says in the NIV study Bible, he says, is of a man already condemned, required to carry the beam of his own cross to the place of execution. It says, cross-bearing is a willingness to suffer and die for the Lord's sake. Billy Graham says in The Offense of the Cross, he says, when Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up a cross, it was the same as saying, come and bring your electric chair with you. Take up the gas chamber and follow me. He didn't have a beautiful cross, gold cross in mind, the cross on the steeple or on the front of your Bible. Jesus had in mind a place of execution. Whoa. See what I'm saying about this passage? It, it gets harder and deeper, but this is what he's calling us to do. This is the, the, the instructions for his team that he was sending out. Are you willing to take up the cross? Now, let's make it clear, this cross that he's calling us to take up is not in any way to pay for our sin, not in any way to, uh, you know, f- to pay the price for our sin. It, Jesus has paid, paid it all. He's the only one that could do that. You and I cannot, uh, you know, uh, that's not what this cross is about. This cross is a willingness to go all out, totally and completely for him. This is radical. This is what Jesus is talking about in discipleship. This is following Jesus. Someone said this, that uh, to, take, to take up a cross does not mean to carry burdens or have problems. He says, I once met a lady who told me that her asthma was the cross she had to bear. We say those kinds of things. Oh, that's just my cross to bear, you know. You know, I don't have any hair, you know. That's my cross to bear, you know. Jesus is, you know, he's got the numbers counted and everything, but that's just my cross to bear. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about total commitment, even unto death. Dying to self. Verse 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If it's all about me and what I want, the comfort, the ease, and the security, all what I need, he says, you're going to lose it. If it's all about just getting for yourself, you're going to lose it. He says, but if it's, if it's for him and I put me aside, that's where we're going to gain it. I like what someone said about this. He says, don't hoard life to ourselves, but spend life and be spent for Jesus and for others, and then we'll find life. If we hoard things to ourselves, he says, no, spend it. Spend ourselves for other people, for Jesus. And he says, that's where we'll find true life. That's where we'll be blessed. And finally, these last verses here, verses 40 through 42, response, those who respond and believe, it's funny because he kind of goes, he'll, he'll say something really heavy and hard and then he'll talk about something really positive. And 
and uh, we get the whole picture. You know, we could spend weeks on every one of these verses, every one of these thoughts, but I think probably just reading them once is good enough for today, and then maybe the Lord will, will work in us some of these things, you know. We don't need to be hammered week after week, right? Look at verse 40. He says, He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. And anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. The rewards that come from following Jesus for those who receive, for those who give, for those who go, for those who are, are uh, the ones that are sent to. But he says there, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. So you and I, you and I, each one of us here in this little church that God has put together, we're on a team, we're, we're, we have a call, and, and, and all the different places that you and I go to, your jobs, your families, your homes, your, your uh, stores, where, where all the places that you and I are involved. We're on his team and he's sending us to be like him in this world, to bring that message, and maybe even be treated as he was. But he says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Three times, don't be afraid. Don't let fear stop us. Let's put, let's put fear where it belongs, to, to the Creator, not fear of man. Because He cares for us. He's with us. He's calling us to be bold, to be totally committed, and to take up our cross and follow Him. About all I can say to, to, to finish this off is God help us to be all that he calls us to be. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we read these very sobering verses and convicting but also challenging and, and uh, encouraging, uh, Lord, that you're with us, that you called us, and that you will be with us to go out in this world, Lord. Uh, help us to be all that you called us to be. I don't know how else to say it, Lord. We fall short. But you are tall and you lift us up. And in you, we can do all things because you strengthen us. And apart from you, we can do nothing. But in you, we can do incredible things, Lord. We surrender our lives to you today, Lord. We come and, and, and maybe commit ourselves afresh to you, anew, that today, Lord, we're here, we're yours. We surrender to you, Lord. Use us in this world. This world is short compared to eternity. May our lives count for something. Father, I uh, pray that you'd help us with the fear, the fear of man, the fear of response, the fear of rejection, all the different kinds of fears. Because you are God. You are the Almighty God. Help us today, Lord. I pray too, Lord, as we, 
as we think about Easter and Good Friday, Lord, I pray that each person in this room would have that relationship with you. If that's you this morning, Lord, uh, I pray that, that you would not leave this place without saying yes to Jesus Christ. And you would tell someone, you would confess him before man as you believe in your heart. Simply surrender to him today. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, your care for us, that you care for us more than anything else on this planet. In Jesus' name, amen.